Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DGens and DGenettes, to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick Urbani, Eric Johansson, Stephen Cesaro, and I am Armand Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening or watching on YouTube and follow us on the socials. And most importantly, hop in our Discord to join the community for the after party and more alfalfa. So we are discussing the Arthur Hayes article, liquidity, markets. Just give it a little teaser. You want to give it a little teaser? And then we'll do the alfalfa no, round. Okay. Teasing. Teasing that we're talking about liquidity. Hold on, should I record? Or? We are recording. This is it recording? You guys are both never knowing when we're recording. Well, I didn't hit Actually, the Actually, that, that's Steven's move. I didn't hit that's the button, so stop, I was ready stop, to hit the button. Stop stealing you my stick, please. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. I we're we recording. We can use that, right? to differentiate here. Let's use that. Right. Um, so why don't you give a quick teaser, Steven, and we'll go off off around. What are we talking about? Uh, we are going to have a discussion about a, a topic we've touched on a little bit in the past, a little touch and go, a uh, topic of net liquidity and the effect that that is having, uh, not just on the crypto markets, but on all financial markets right now, basically. So I uh, figured it's time to to do a deep dive on that, especially since uh, Arthur Hayes just actually wrote about it in his uh, latest blog post. Uh, was it Teach Me Daddy? Yeah. Teach and I'm daddy. just going to be chiming in saying daddy as much as I can throughout <laughs> okay. this episode. I know you like saying Will that. Will be my role. I, I love hearing it more than anything. Um, so let's kick it off with the alfalfa, uh, uh, Nick. Um, no, no trades this week or moves. I did kind of uh, dive into FTX US. I think we, Steve and I were looking at it on the plane on the way back from our hike. And, uh, yeah, there's just no liquidity on there. So I just was looking at, you know, how much liquidity is available. It didn't seem viable. So, uh, going to move on and look for other options, but that was it for this week. I'll reserve the rest for when we talk about net liquidity. Cool. I got a, I got a great alfalfa this week. It's, it's like an Armand style alfalfa. It's a non-trading alfalfa. Yes. And it came up on our camping trip. Uh, you guys wouldn't even realize this, but, uh, you guys would, but the audience wouldn't realize this, that. All of our podcast uh, cohort here, uh, except for me, but including David, use um, skincare products on their face. <laughs> like we're talking cleansers, salves, foams, all kinds of nonsense. And uh, I did not realize that this was such a big thing. I'm in your club. No, you're using all this stuff. Well, Keels, no, remember. Keels. No. You're a Keels man. So I realized. No, he's the Kiels man. No, okay. He was the Kiels man. man. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, let me just like fast forward here. I got home to Mina. I was like, Mina, you know what? Like, these guys are all using these like uh, skincare routines, and she's like, Yes. <laughs> so she like got me all set up, and I'm I'm on uh, you know my my second day of using skincare. And, well, is there a little SPF in there? Uh, a little daily protection. No, I'm going step by step. Right okay. now, I started with a, a face wash. Oh, wash! And then I went straight to uh, the hard stuff, retinol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going. Wow. I'm going younger. Wow. So yeah, serum. Do you have a serum? Uh, I have a moisturizer. <laughs> okay. So yeah, catch me in six months. Yeah, I'm gonna you lose gotta get on level, like, man. I'm gonna be like a 15 year old. Stephen does the four step process. The I, serum. I, I literally retinol. told you I wash my face with water. You did say you that use one serum, but you have like four different it's things. The most, it's the most efficient, minimalist skincare. Your routine, routine was by far more complex than mine. You remember this? Now, he just explained it in a complex way. It's actually pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty stupid. 
<laughs> I like it. I, I, I reject all of this. <laughs> I can move on. All right. You, up, you're up. Oh, I guess this is going to be a bit of a left turn, but um, yeah, I've been focused on uh, S&P, especially the ES futures contract, because I think it's kind of the guide for all the risk markets right now. Uh, ES last week uh, lost a pretty critical level I'd been looking at, and Ethereum followed suit uh, through it like a like a hot knife through butter. So, uh, current plan this week, I'm I'm kind of expecting a, a you know trade trade up and and both of those item uh, both of those uh, assets and a a retest of those levels or or at least close to it, and looking to uh, hedge out quite a bit if not all my position when that happens, and then see what happens post post meeting. Kind of kind of expecting. Uh, a bit of a nuke post meeting Jackson hole. You're talking about yeah, Jackson hole Friday. Um, so I think there's a lot of risk there that I want to avoid. Although I, I think I am still bullish over the next few months. So I'll be looking to reenter, but we can, uh, we could definitely talk about that a little more as we go into debt, uh, into, <laughs> into depth. Debt. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Freudian slip. <laughs> nice. Cool. Um, I've been really trying to find a minute or three here or there to just think about how I want to play the merge. It's probably something that maybe it'll come up in the episode today that I can uncover a few things, or maybe we talk about this offline and I, I bring it up again in terms of my decision, but I'm currently staking on Lido, uh, a very small portion of my bag. It was done a couple months ago and Nick and I first dived into it and we were looking at just generally getting in the queue and I wanted to play around a little bit. Um, most of my ETH is unstaked still, and I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do. Is is ETH POW important to me? Do I want to to kind of like keep everything and have that available as a as an option? Do I want to uh, get on all nodes? It's something that I was like spending three minutes looking at yesterday, and then that led me to looking at um, some SaaS staking solutions and comparing like block staking, which checks more boxes. I actually threw this in the discord to see what other people thought as well, to see, you know, what are the best SaaS staking solutions if you don't want to go through all the work manually, because it is, it is a little cumbersome and it is a little technical. So just thinking about all the different options I have, how I want to play it going into the merge. Do I want to trade at all? Do I want to actually, um, sell anything and, or, you know, play uh, some of the things that we'll be talking about today. I mean, Stephen has a plan to buy a winery here, and I was looking at that and thinking about, will I trade any of my, my ETH in a similar manner? So it's a lot of questions I've been asking more than anything, but um, I think it's just important to, to kind of get a clear plan in place before the merge so you aren't in a reactionary position. That's the number one thing that I'm currently focused on is not getting reactive, because I do think there's going to be a lot of unpredictable things that that go down. So oh, I want to have my cool. plan in place. This uh this upcoming episode is going to help you a lot. Awesome. Cool. So back to calling me daddy. Um, let's break that down. Who can uh, me to lead give off? us a lead? Okay. Yeah, yeah, lead us off. Okay, so Arthur Hayes um, wrote an article called Teach Me Daddy. And he's he's um, he's actually asking his like macro trader friend. Uh, what's this guy's name? Felix Zuloff. Felix Zuloff, the macro specialist. He's asking Felix um, how he looks at this thing called liquidity, which um, we've learned is is actually the most important thing in all markets. And what that means is like how, how much dollars is in play in the ecosystem at large. And um, I think what, we'll, what we're going to uncover here is that liquidity seems to be everything with the prices of assets like ETH, Bitcoin, 
S&P 500, et cetera. And um, we're going to talk about today the levers that go into calculating liquidity, the change in liquidity, and Nick's going to focus on how to forecast liquidity going forward. So um, with that, why don't we let Stephen lead it off? Yeah. So if, if anybody hasn't read the blog post, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's a, it's a really good overview, I think, on what net liquidity is and why it matters and how you can sort of use it in your, in, in your trading and your investing. Uh, I, I felt really good reading this blog post because I, you know, Arthur talked about how he just sort of <laughs> discovered this topic and I was like, ah, oh, we've been talking about this for a while. I mean, like in the, uh, felt good, huh? Yeah. I felt really good. <laughs> Feels good to be valid. episode 45 and then yeah. the previous episodes. Yeah. And I mean, in our bankless episode, bankless. we talked about how, yeah. you know, it, people in the know, I think have come to realize that Bitcoin crypto in general is sort of like liquidity batteries. They're not necessarily inflation hedges as measured by CPI. Anyway, they're more a measure of how much money is, is moving into and out of the, out of the system. And to, to kind of just simplify this a little bit for people, when we talk about net liquidity, there's, there's sort of three factors here. Like everybody talks about the fed balance sheet, like all the securities that they've, they've bought treasuries, whatever it may be, that's kind of sitting on there. And for a, for a while, that was really the only thing that mattered because it was just such a much larger number than all of the other stuff um, in the equation. So it kind of overshadowed everything else. But in recent years, something called the, the, the reverse repo has come to soak up trillions of dollars in, in capital and is, is now really the, the main thing uh, driving uh, changes of liquidity uh, in the market. So there's three factors here, the Fed balance sheet, the reverse repo, and the Treasury general account. And I don't think we have to go like super wonky into detail on this stuff. I think people should look into this concept on their own and, and research it. It's a little easier, I, I think, that way. But the, but the basic idea is you, you take the balance sheet, you subtract the reverse repo, you subtract the Treasury general account, and then you have net liquidity. And if you chart this, right, you chart balance sheet minus repo minus uh, Treasury general account, and you chart that like next to Bitcoin it's like absolute almost one-to-one -one correlation. It's it's verbatim. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, main takeaway, I think, from this article, other than that, is the idea that we're going to, I want to dive in a little bit more into, which is that we've been talking about inflation and how it's going to affect what the Fed does with interest rates, as though interest rates are sort of the ultimate thing that's driving risk assets. And I'm personally coming to realize that this is more and more of like, you might even call it a ruse, right? Like the Fed wants us maybe to be looking at interest rates thinking, oh my God, this is going to drive stuff. But but then behind the scenes, they can pull all these levers as it pertains to the, the reverse repo, um, like the total amount that can go into the reverse repo, the banks who can use the reverse repo, the rate they charge. And, and these sneaky things they can do behind the scenes while they're dangling the interest rate and the CPI in front of us um, actually may have like way more of an impact on what's actually happening in, in markets and, and where stocks and where risk assets, where crypto uh, is going. Um, Nick, I know you have been looking into this a lot as well. You subscribe to uh, Darius Dale, 42 Macro, and he's been, he's been talking about this for a while. He called basically the top of crypto in, in December 
Yeah, um, he's he's done an epic job of it. He he talked about in November that he was divesting out of risk assets mm. primarily because of this change in liquidity cycle. And there are multiple cycles, like the the growth cycle, the the corporate profit cycle, but the liquidity cycle is is the most important, specifically when it comes to to risk assets. And he publishes uh, pretty consistently on his weekly and monthly data um, his net liquidity calculations. So he's been doing this for for a lot longer than than Arthur Hayes certainly has. And I, I, again, like Stephen said, I think this concept has existed before because we've we've certainly brought it up a few times and what i mean again back to eric's point you look at this run-up from like early 2020 all the way up you could even almost like look at the double top in in bitcoin and and it matches this this net liquidity metric and so um i mentioned last money episodes is episode 45 that like on a macro basis this is the one i'm trying to pay attention most to and so in the last week, I've I've gone to just looking at it as lines in the chart, and obviously recognizing the correlation. You'd be like, well, how do we predict where this thing is going to go? So, okay, let's all agree that this is highly correlated, but what do you do with it now? And so we look at those three things that uh, Stephen mentioned. We look at the Fed's balance sheet, the reverse repo facility, and the Treasury general account. Okay, so the the first one is the, the big one, the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Right now, it sits about $8.8 trillion. They've published, I think earlier this year, how they're going to do quantitative tightening. So you could, you know, follow their their word uh, and, and show what they're going to decrease on a monthly basis. And so when looking at f- forecasting the, the Fed's balance sheet, we know that they're going to double the quantitative tightening in September to $95 billion a month. Um, so they're not going to repurchase more fac- more treasuries. They're going to let them roll off at at a pace of ninety five. So at least month. that that one lever is going to decrease liquidity. Right. So we think that that lever is going to decrease. And and some have looked at this chart. And I mean, when you look at the decrease that we've gone through so far since June, it looks like almost like a flattening. I mean, it, it, the balance sheet is so massive. When you look at the the Fed balance sheet, you might be like. They're not tightening, um, but it, it's going to be a process. It's going to take multiple years to go down. Um, and, you know, whether they execute to, to the word they've said is is also up in question. Like their, um, you know, their op- open market operations, like you have to actually execute this. And I read through the, Fe- the Fed minutes um, that they put out recently, and they plan on continuing this, um, this, this plan. So, so we can forecast that that will continue to decrease. Okay, so the next one. Um, I want to touch on the next easiest to forecast, which is the Treasury general account. Um, so we're going to skip the the reverse repo facility for a second. So um, the Treasury puts out this thing called a quarterly funding announcement, and they basically say how many treasuries, how much treasuries in dollar amounts are we going to issue? And so really quickly, when the Fed issues more treasuries, they take in cash. They take in dollars and hand out treasuries in exchange. So what that does is pulls cash out of the market into the treasury's bank account. And they use that to pay for all the government um, expenses. And so you can look and see, are they going to increase issuance? If they're going to increase issuance, then you can expect that the, the money in the U.S. treasury will grow. And what that means is there's less cash in the market to float around. And you're saying that they... Um they give guidance on that on a quarterly basis. Yeah, so I have the guidance. Okay. Um, so uh, as a current level, the current level is about $550 billion. And they said at the end of September, they estimate the cash balance will be $650 billion. So we're talking about $100 billion being pulled out of the market into their bank account. And through December, they expect it to be around $700 billion. 
And that means uh, that there will be an additional 50 billion taken out of the market. Um, again, and this is on the smaller numbers out of all the three. But um, well, you, if, add, you add number one and number three together, and they're both pulling liquidity from the market. Exactly. And if we look at this um, you know, rise since, call it, what, mid-June, this, the, the decrease in the U.S. Treasury account has been mostly um, uh, the cause of why there's been more liquidity in the system. So I think even uh, last week we joked about how, you know, everyone invested in ETH saying it's the merge, is the merge, the merge, but we've seen an increase in net liquidity since mid-June. And I, I think like amongst the four of us, we would say, well, that's obviously the, the cause of, of this like, you know, brief reprieve in a, in a bear market because you see it amongst the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Bitcoin, ETH, across the board. Um, and so I, I think the reason this is, it's smaller, but it's more important is because we've seen this change, the net liquidity as of recent months. And it's important to know that, you know, this has caused a, like this, this rise in prices. Um, Janet Yellen has said that the minimum she wants in that account is 500 billion, and we're approaching that minimum. So basically there's a floor, she said. So it's not going to continue going down, meaning liquidity is not liquidity from the U.S. Treasury is not going to continue increasing. In fact, we expect it to reverse and go the other way. Okay, so that that's the, we have a balance sheet uh, decrease in liquidity. We have U.S. Treasury general account balance decrease in liquidity. The next toughest is the, is the, uh, the next one is the toughest to predict, I think. So um, the reverse repo facility. So again, this is a, a place where the Fed lets banks, money markets park cash. In exchange, they give them treasuries or securities and say, we will repurchase, repo, we will repurchase this asset back at a price. And that price is um, about five basis points higher than the lower range of the Fed funds rate. And right now, that rate is higher than a one-month T-bill. So if you're a bank and you have you need quick liquidity back and forth, you can go buy one-month T-bills, three-month T-bills, that kind of thing. And right now, you can go to the Fed and get a higher rate overnight. Overnight and zero risk. It's a no-brainer. Zero risk. So that's why this has has been uh, has been climbing. Now, what could what could change that? Right. Well, if if market participants say, well, I don't want zero risk. And I don't want a minimal return. I want to take risks. So the three things I kind of looked at was there's there's credit risk, meaning they would rather lend that out to other parties and make a higher return. There's equity risk. They would like to invest that into companies, into the stock market, say, for example. And they want duration risk. So they're not willing to just like look at overnight rates or one month rates. They're willing to invest on a longer time horizon. And so this is where it gets tough to predict because because this is the market participants at play. And do they see uh, um, an economy that has good fundamentals or degrading fundamentals? And so right now, you know, I think on the whole, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. But right now, clearly the market is saying we're not willing to take that kind of risk. And, and right now it's at, I think, $2.3 trillion, you know, mm-hmm. all the way up from like zero a couple of years ago. Um, and... I've seen some forecasts up to 2.5, even high as 3 trillion. But while we're getting this mixed bag of economic data, we can we can expect that this might f- like flatten out potentially and and to a slight increase. Um but uh there could also be some really good economic indicators, right? That come out and the market decides to take more risk. So they pull money out of money market accounts. They they pull money out and put it to work in the financial 
marketplace and in, into the economy. And so you could see this thing move up and down pretty quickly. And so that's why I think it's um, uh, tough to predict. I think Arthur says that the Fed does have some knobs they can turn to kind of like um, incentivize or disincentivize people from from using this. But I, I do think it's mostly up to the to the market to decide, do they want to take more risk? So those are the three things. And just as a summary, balance sheet going down, reverse repo facility potentially staying flat, and you know U.S. general account probably uh, increasing, which means less liquidity. So I don't know. This is where I have my my little bag of cash that I've been waiting to deploy, and I'm like, I don't see this going in 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 a positive way where net liquidity will go up. Right. Let's make this as dumb as possible. Um, we've seen every asset class track this net liquidity number stocks crypto everything so this this liquidity number matters for prices and liquidity based on what nick just said seems to be like it's going down it's it's, liquidity is going to go down so i the the way i view that is time to be careful time to be careful and let me let me add on to that and this is from uh again darius dale's kind of uh predictions or just analysis of, of what he's seeing He's seeing a pretty wide range. So if that in the future, if some more positive economic data comes out, um, we could see the reverse repo facility decline, which means there's more faci- more liquidity in the market. And right now, the market is already pricing that in. So he, he does a really great chart where he basically matches it with the S&P 500. And right now, he says it's around, you know, based upon how much liquidity is in the market, it equivalents to a 4,100 S&P. So we're a couple hundred points, roughly, uh, above that. So the the market is pricing in that liquidity will increase. So it's kind of front running a potential you know, liquidity increase. So when you look at risk return, you're like, okay, well, yes, if liquidity increases, the market ends up being right. But if it doesn't, not only does it have to get back to par where, where it should be based upon how much liquidity, but then it's going to correct to, to signify, oh, this liquidity might decrease. Well, I agree with you. But let me tee up Steven here. And okay. I think uh, this is something that you probably want to talk about is, is the fact that like, um, we do have something important coming up in November, right? And mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, these midterm elections. Yeah, an election. Okay, so um, if the Fed can simultaneously signal that they are combating inflation by like making uh, the short-term Fed funds rate go higher, right? They're going to say like, oh, we're combating inflation doing that. But at the same time, um, they can provide a little extra liquidity to the market in the background, like Stephen uh, mentioned at the beginning. Well, now they're, they're you know, boosting the economy or boosting the stock market and boosting asset prices for uh, the voters prior to November. And they can say, and we're fighting inflation. So I think that, you know, in the in sort of like a longer term situation, we, we look at liquidity being like, oh, this is going to go down. But maybe in the short term, you would say, well, they can kind of fudge this using the reverse repo facility and maybe they can they can kind of pump it into november at least steven what do you think about that oh you didn't just tee me up you you you, you took my take i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i kind of got going i kind of got i got started it's a, great take. It's a great take can i just say the previous two little monologues were absolutely phenomenal like nick what a distillation like that was so helpful for me okay go ahead steven well that's a good explainer so yeah i guess i'll i guess i'll throw my current thesis out there now and I think it's probably slightly different from you guys because you have different positioning than I do. Um, first off, I think it's really important to touch on the last point Nick said. Right, that if you are long risk right now, you are not just betting on net liquidity increasing from here. 
you are betting on net liquidity increasing from here beyond what the market is already pricing in because the market well is already ahead of where liquidity is, right? So right. that's kind of some points for the bears, right? You have a, a higher hurdle to overcome. So I, I think it's important to get that out of the way because if you want to buy this thesis I'm putting out, then that's like probably the biggest uh, thing to consider. Um, I think that for a while, I've thought that most of this is political. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I don't think we've had free markets for a long time. My that was my, my question around yeah, all of this. Like, like what's my the motive here? my base case coming into this year, honestly, was that we're going to see some posturing, and then like ultimately like a foot off the brakes heading into elections. Um, but in the beginning of the year, I don't think I had this framework to work with exactly. It was just more of a vague kind of gut feel about things. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've like kind of hashed out this liquidity thing a little bit more because it allows, it allows us to like talk in more detail about what may or may not happen and, 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 and why. Um, I think that one of the biggest things we have to look at, right, is that we're going to talk about this in the, the next episode, actually, but Yesterday, or maybe it was today, the, the Biden administration basically said they're going to go forward with this debt forgiveness plan. $300 billion just, and, and you're trying to spin this as though it's not going to be inflationary, but which, which is just like obviously insane, right? You, you are basically snapping your fingers, you're, you're just reverse Thanos snapping, and then like a bunch of money is going into the, the economy that was not previously there, right? So, so to me, what this is, is like a, it's, it's a leading indicator that politicians, and I don't even think this was a, th I, I already knew this before, right? Like this is like kind of like one of the guiding principles that I have that foundational guides investing policy is made by individual politicians who are incentivized to further their own short-term ambitious goals, which means getting elected two months from now, consequences years from now be damned, Right. And I think this is like a guiding principle anybody can use. So it's been my framework for a while that the powers that be are going to use any means necessary to to maintain control of political office in November. Right now, the powers that be are, are, are Democrats. They have the presidency. They have uh, both both houses of Congress. Right. So huge incentives for them to pull whatever levers they can to maintain power. The fact that they're just Throwing point three trillion dollars sounds funny when you say that. I think uh, into the into the economy at a time where we're all supposed to be concerned about inflation tells me that the inflation thing is it, it, it's all posturing, um, and then when push comes to shove, they will buy votes. And if I just play the the game theory out of how this all works out, like how I would do it, right? What I would do is juice the economy, juice the market coming into elections while simultaneously crushing gas prices and showing that you care about inflation. How do you do this? Strategic. Well, juicing the economy is pretty easy. You put more liquidity in the system, right? But that is going to be inflationary. So what do you do? You release gas from the strategic petroleum reserve, depressing gas prices. The number one thing, like if you look at a, a poll, uh, like a, um, probability chart of Democrat election chances versus gas prices. They're basically just like, an, it's like an inverse chart. Like the odds of the Democrats winning um, the house and the Senate, right? It's just like an inverse chart of gas prices. And remember like a, a 
don't know if it was one or two months back, they started unleashing the uh, the SPR. And lo and behold, gas started going down, and suddenly Biden's approval ratings start trending up. Along the, Biden's approval ratings, <laughs> they basically like bottomed with the stock market and with with gas prices, with with oil prices, right? Um, so step one, juice economy via liquidity. Step two, dump oil into the market, suppressing gas prices and reducing some inflation metrics month over month to give cover to the narrative that you were doing something to fight inflation. And then step three is posturing, like to, you know, come out there and be waving your big stick around and saying, look at us, we're doing all these things to fight inflation. And this is Jay Powell hiking rates and talking like a big game. And to me, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors because now I think we see that the interest rates actually don't matter as much as the amount of cash in the system. The price of the money does not matter as much as how much money is is out there. So when I look at this, like it seems like again, you you juice market with um with uh, with more liquidity, you sneakily dump oil supply to suppress gas, and then you come in and you do your posturing, you raise rates, make it act like you're you're doing something for for like the PR, and then and then the voter goes, look at this administration. The stock market's up, gas prices are down. They're raising rates. They're talking a big game. They're tackling inflation. They care about me. I'm going to vote blue. So this sets up Ugh. nicely to Friday, and I'm going to wrap this up real quick because I, I know I've been monologuing for no, a while. No, no, I really like the, it. I just the here, nihilist deep, deep within <laughs> me, like there is one, and it's activated right now. And, well, and before you wrap up, yeah, like sure. to, to add on to your point, like uh, you know, Jenny Yellen, just for remember, she used to be the Federal Reserve Chairman, so. You know, probably buddies with Powell, or at least like right. colleague buddies. Well, and now she runs the Treasury, so she's in charge of lever, lever number three. So exactly. So there, there, there's easily some coordination. They they met publicly like you know two three months ago. Yeah. So you know this thing could be in motion tinfoil. Yeah. So well, I'm going to do something that we shouldn't do and throw outlandish and like kind of five team parlay type predictions out here about nice. what's going to happen. But like this is my Good. default <laughs> working assumption, and in my default assumption is that. Um, we have broken some key levels. I do think that is negative, at least in the short run. I think we get a run up and a retest of those levels on ETH and S&P. I think that Friday at Jackson Hole, you see the fire and brimstone rain down from Jay Powell via his words. Um, I think the market reacts very badly to that. I think we nuke going into that. I think they even follow through with an actual like larger than expected rate hikes, um, possibly in September. But if what they actually end up doing behind the scenes is turning back on the liquidity spigot via tweaking these like reverse repo metrics that nobody seems to be talking about because everybody's just talking about CPI and uh, the the uh, the federal funds rate, then what you could end up happening is that you could have like ETH bottom at like 13 or 12 or something, but then the, sa- the stage is set for it to just absolutely rip going into the merge slash elections because you've got peak fear in the markets with the 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 rates but then the liquidity spigots get turned on and then you just see the politicians do what they're incentivized to do which is just like pump it going into november so that's kind of what i'm positioned for i mean obviously it would be very lucky if all this plays out exactly as i'm saying and i always reassess day by day week by week um but yeah, like currently I'm planning on selling a rally, b- 
buying fear after Jackson Hole and then probably selling at some point into the midterms yeah. or, or after the midterms and, and reevaluating because I I do think it probably does get ugly after that at some point. We could we could talk about that later, but that's kind of my theory for the next month or two. You make it sound so easy. And um, I just want to talk about why I think it's not that easy because like I, I can make a, a, an alternate case, right? Like so Friday at Jackson Hole, like maybe Jay Powell comes out way more hawkish than he had been. And that uh, that's probably what's going to happen. But at the same time, on Friday, I think they're going to come out with a core PCE metric. And the core PCE metric might come out lower than it had in, in the previous, uh, you know, calendar period. And it's like, oh my gosh, maybe they're going to say like, well, inflation had, has peaked. And then maybe the market rips higher on that news. So, um, you know, like, and it could happen like with the same thesis in mind that it's like, oh, well, prior to November, let's, uh, let's front run this like uh, bullish sort of behavior and let's all buy on this like lower PCE. And, uh, you know, to, I, to your point, I was just going to say, uh, the, the last PCE uh, was 4.8%. The current median forecast for some reason is also 4.8%. So if it does come down from previous months, which, you know, CPI and, and core PCE are, are somewhat correlated, um, then yeah, you could be below forecast and that narrative could easily continue. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm positioned for a pullback and I'm, that's, that's sort of my fear is that like, oh my gosh, what if, what if it just freaking takes off from here? And then, and then you go into Armand's question is like the, there are like asset specific idiosyncratic, uh, things going on like the ETH merge where it's like, oh my gosh, well, you know, if you, if you line that up with like a, a bullish macro narrative, it's like this thing could really, really pump. And then to, to, you know, add on to Steven's point is I don't think inflation is going to be this linear path downward, right? Especially if you stop the release from the SPR, gas prices, oil prices could go back up. And so, you know, maybe in a few months, maybe potentially after the midterms, we could see a, a, an increase in, in inflation. And that could be maybe a potential trigger for the market to be like, um, wow, uh, maybe this thing isn't going to go down in a linear fashion. Um, I think Jim Bianco posted this great chart like in the last week, and it basically showed from every month since June 2021, what were Wall Street's estimates? And it shows that a bunch of these curves for every single month, what it what it, it projected to go down to. And basically every single month, they projected that within 12 months, CPI would go back to 2%. And they consistently do it. And so they're cons- obviously been consistently wrong. And so you know, if it does go down linearly, everyone makes money, everyone wins. But if it doesn't, then there's a gap between what the market's pricing in and what, what actually happens. And so, yeah, that the, all these things could come to play to, to play out, you know, both of your scenarios, I think. But I think our scenarios are only, uh, differing on a very short term time horizon, because I think we're aligned on the idea that, um, as you remove liquidity long-term, you know, prices are going to come down. It's just like, what's the path uh, to get to that point. The the main thing holding me back from your scenario, which I do think is plausible, right? And I do think ultimately anybody who tries to tell you they know exactly what's going to happen on a four-week time horizon in the markets up and down and then back up again is, you know, they're it's 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 just not a thing that's easy to do. Um Europe right now is just it's it's a complete shit show, right? Like German energy prices are 14 times their seasonal average right now and world energy markets are connected right those high energy prices will 
bleed into U.S. energy prices because, to a certain extent, like this is a this is a global world, and if you are like an energy exporter or energy producer, and you can figure out a way to get 14x what you're getting in the U.S. because someone in Germany is willing to to pay that, um, ultimately that's going to pull some supply, I think, from 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 us moving to Europe. The prices go down, but ours go up. So, like, I think that if you are the Fed. It, you can look at U.S. stuff month over month and go like, oh, we've peaked. But realistically speaking, it's very hard to take, to, to zoom out, look at the energy as it is across the whole world right now and project out to the winter and think that but CPI, this is anything other CPI than But CPI did come down. Am I right? Like CPI did come down. So PCE could come down in one reading and it, that, that it, could like change a narrative in the short term. In the short term. Yeah, I mean, so if you if you believe that these guys are robot, they, they're you know they're just Michael Scott driving the car into the lake because the GPS tells me the, the data tells me to drive into the lake. Like, sure, right? But like, you also have to be completely blind to not look at Europe and be like, holy god! Like, because the I mean, what UK inflation was what 14 percent well, in the last print. And speaking it, of it's, Europe, it's crazy. Uh, do you guys remember? Uh, at Churchill, the four of us plus Marcus, we were sitting there right as war broke out, Russia, Ukraine. Before and, war broke oh, out, to right, be specific. Oh, yeah. It was as uh, troops were getting close to the border and Nick mm-hmm. goes, how about European night gas? Should we go Should we go like ultra <laughs> long here? Did uh, do you have him pulling the trigger on that trade? Uh, it's really hard to trade nat gas. It's fucking impossible. Yeah. Like I even try to chat up a natural gas trader and he's just like, <laughs> Padawan, good luck. You know, like it, it's it's hard. So yeah, we, we we try to look at different equities to like buy calls on and it, it just didn't, what it seemed, uh, it seemed kind of tough. Italian nat gas company that I was looking at. Yeah, we, like, we tried to dig in. E or something. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, I think we had the the right thinking we just didn't know the right mechanism it's hard to, to execute on nat gas it's a, it's a wild market so i wouldn't right but yeah you would you would have made a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> oh Sorry. my god shucks well like that that stock over the last six months has been flat like the the italian nat gas uh hmm. producer has been flat well uh, that's just there you go easier said than done yeah so right. the mechanism is is you know half the battle right um i, I have a question so uh another darius dale shout out you know i'm a subscriber the guy grinds and he showed that um that let's say things do plan out as the market is predicting that we do have a linear decrease in inflation um, from core PC going say from 4.8% to like 2.5%. What he showed in previous data uh, is that whenever uh, that metric goes down by 2% within 18th month period, like it goes down that fast, you have an actual recession, like a real recession that everyone feels not a technical two decreases in GDP or, you know, two quarters of decrease in GDP technical recession, but a real one in which growth goes down, corporate profits go down. Labor. Yeah, exactly. Unemployment goes up. And so, you know, to this point, people have said, well, bad news is good news because if that happens, then the Fed turns on liquidity spigot. And uh, I don't know. It's, you know, what I've been thinking is that be careful what you wish for that if this happens, because I don't know if that necessarily means that asset prices go up during a recession. And so this is one thing I've been playing around with. Let's say they are right. You know, do you, the market is going to going to obviously uh lead, you know, in terms of the fundamentals, but but is it going to lead during this recession that Right. 
I mean, it, it certainly has led already, and this is like a good question to ask Darius himself. Hopefully, we can get <laughs> yeah. him on here to to, to answer that. We but have like, questions because the market has already front ran that move, and like, is the actual recession priced in or not? I would argue it's not, but like, there's a there's a, you know, you could support a narrative to say that you know it's come down so far already. Maybe right. maybe yeah. it is. I I I worry about our uh, ETH bull. Toddler friends, because I, I do see the potential for a scenario to play out that like really wrecks people because you could have this perfect storm of like engineered uh, political slash pre-recession melt up aligned with the merge and the, oh my God, we're so smart. Look at this $3,000 ETH. We're geniuses up only. And then like recession does happen e- either in Q1 or maybe even as late as Q2 or Q3 next year. And then everything just really melts down. Like, I, I think there's still a very good chance we see like new lows in, in crypto. Like, so I think people need to kind of check themselves. Like if they buy here and they're, they double their money in a short period of time. Like that's, that's the thing I'm concerned about. There could um, be a non-causal correlation between yeah. the merge it could and be like, like this liquidity perfect cycle that <laughs> makes you think ETH is this super special asset that's destined to go up only forever when reality it's just this perfect combination of events that kind of boosted it in the short to midterm. Um, that being said, I, I know we've done a lot of like kind of technical short-term trading type stuff. I, I'm kind of curious like where you're at Armand is like more of a uh, longer been, term, yeah. less Has active been helpful? guy. It's very helpful. It's very insightful. But uh, to be honest, like, man, I hear a conversation like this and um, I can't help but feel a little cynical sometimes. It's really rough. I, I, I have a lot of uh, compassion for people that have to sit back and watch things happen and unfold before their eyes. Uh, you know, Stephen, you mentioned kind of this like tinfoil take on things. And here's the main thing that came to mind for me throughout this whole conversation is like everything that we seem to do. I know this is a money episode, but I can't help but put my politics and life hat on around this. Everything that our government and we are obviously speaking from a U.S. centric perspective, but that affects the entire planet and the world economy. And so much of what we do is what dictates what happens for the rest of the world. That's a huge responsibility. And the people in charge do not at all seem to have our best interests at heart. That's like the core fundamental thing that continues to come up and show itself Mm. over and over and over again. All of this is potentially a ruse, a sham, a game of charades to get votes. We continue to, you you guys basically broke out this formula for how we can kick the can down the road for another six months. That's what I heard. And I sit there and I go, okay, you have these people in power that want to continue to be empowered, that will play games with our wallets and our hearts and our minds and the economy itself just to stay in power. And they are not at all incentivized to actually solve problems. There is nothing about anything I'm hearing. They'll they'll solve it right after they get elected. Exactly. (laughs) But even then temporarily, and maybe they'll kind of like uh, keep a couple eggs in the basket to, to, to like fake problems to solve down the road just to get votes again, to never really fully get to the heart of the matter. And that frustrates me. And the, the the old cynical guy in college that was like a nut job, like kind of like <laughs> just got awoken again because I look around and I think like, okay, great. I'm glad we have this podcast. I'm glad I get to talk to you guys about this stuff and learn. I feel privileged. And the people that listen to this podcast as well that enjoy this kind of stuff get 
access to this and they go, okay, great. I get this information. How am I going to play this? What am I going to do with that? But 99% of citizens just sit around getting sloshed around and they don't know how to play this because there is no way to play this because even what we're doing, I love it, but I'm still torn on, is this science or is this astrology? Because like I made this joke over the weekend, but like so much of what we're doing honestly just feels like astrology for dudes sometimes. And it's fun. And some women as well. We know we have some women in the community that enjoy it, but it is just sitting around and finding patterns. And sometimes it's like creating these like self-fulfilling prophecies of things that we think we got right. And then all of a sudden we got it right. And we think we have a pattern and nope, it never happens that way again. And we have to recreate everything from scratch. And I'm feeling a little fucking cynical right now. <laughs> That's <laughs> really all I I think this is a good area for you. Focus on what are the fundamental human truths, not the lines on the chart, but the fundamental human truths. And like, do you believe it is a fundamental truth that the incentives of government and human nature align so that we will always choose short-term can kicking? We will. Yeah, and it's that. Do you want to feel good or do you want to make money? And and so, thank you. That that is kind of the next point. Is like you cannot be a victim. You have to take responsibility. You have to listen to this podcast. <laughs> you have to get educated. You don't, you're dead. You, dead. <laughs> you have to get educated. You have to play this right to the best of your ability. You have to make money because no one's going to do it for you. That's the world we live in. That's that's it. Well said. Next, uh, next five, ten years, I think people have to take a lot of responsibility on for themselves and and finance until you get bailed out by the government yeah well that's the next episode that's a segue boy it's more like a (laughs) civil war all right boys that was fantastic let's talk uh let's talk joseph biden and student loans in the next episode Mm. see you guys there bye peace